0: Down a long, fluorescent-filled hallway, in a quiet section of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, sits a vault filled with files and heartbreak. More than 1,400 cold cases. They're yellowing pages and aging evidence, a constant reminder that someone got away with murder.
1: So in my office, I have a a vault that's behind my desk, and that has, uh, I think, about three or four years of case files in it and then we have all the 60s and 70s, right when you walk in the door, that big black cabinet you might have seen, that has all those cases. But the bulk of all of our cases are gonna be in the vault down here at the end of the hall. Um, We have boxes and boxes and cases dating back to 1931 that we keep under lock and key.
0: I'm Paige Kelton with Action News Jax, and we've partnered with Project Cold Case and the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office to put the spotlight on unsolved local crimes. Our goal, to generate a tip that leads to an arrest. This week, Action News Jax's Lorena Inclan opens the case file on Carol Barrett, a woman whose murder has left her family too terrified to speak out in public.
2: This is how Carol Ann Barrett's family wants her to be remembered, a bright-eyed, smiling teenager. For most people her age, spring break is a big deal, and she had her sights set on one of the most popular spring break destinations in the world, Daytona Beach. It was March 1980 when she finally got the chance. 18-year-old Barrett and a group of eight other friends were staying at the Treasure Island Inn on Daytona Beach shores. According to this small newspaper clipping of the St. Petersburg Times, she was outside their room with a friend. When a man depicted in this sketch approached them.
1: There was seven individuals in the in the hotel room at the time the assailant enters into the room. And... Um, he has him do some things uh, at gunpoint.
2: JSO's Sergeant Dan Jansen is taking another look at the case. He says after the suspect robs the group, he takes Barrett.
1: She was uh, abducted from that location. Uh, her body was found here in Duval County.
2: Her half-naked body was found in a ditch near I-95 and mile marker 365, not far from JIA.
1: To me, it almost looks as if she was executed. Not that there was a, a big struggle or anything like that. It, was, it looked more like an execution to
2: me. 37 years later, Jansen tells me there's evidence in
1: the case that could
2: spark a lead.
1: And In this case, there happens to be a unresolved palm print.
2: Critical evidence that still needs to get tested, technology that was not available in 1980. Overall, in your opinion, does it have strong solvability factors?
1: I have an unresolved palm print. I solved the 43-year-old case with that same thing.
2: This is the sketch of the suspect released soon after her body was found. Jansen says it remains a strong clue even today, especially because of this distinctive feature, a mole on his left cheek. And it's likely Barrett was not his only victim.
1: To enter into a, a hotel room where there's seven individuals and not knowing to what level of confrontation you are can be met with, even though you do have a gun, is pretty brazen.
2: Barrett's case has been featured on ProjectColdCase.org and this Crime Stoppers playing card distributed to inmates in the hopes of generating leads. Take another look. The suspect is described as having reddish hair, beard and a mustache, a mole on his left cheek, wearing wire-rimmed glasses. Barrett's parents have since passed away. Her sister tells me she wants to see this case solved in the memory of her parents and so that her sister's soul can finally rest in peace. So, Sergeant Jansen, Carol Ann Barrett, a teenager, an 18-year-old, I believe, she went to Daytona Beach in 1980. Uh, fa- her body was found in Jacksonville a short while after that. Tell me a little bit more about that case, where we stand with that right now.
1: Absolutely. So, first off, let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, how this comes across my desk. Um, uh, it, in our partnership with Project Cold Case, Ryan called me and said, hey, he had a submission and a phone call from a family member, and uh, he wanted to th- discuss some of the details about that with me. And so um, that kind of got the ball rolling. I'll let you talk about that if you want to, and then I can go into some of the details of what what I can yes. release.
2: Yes, please do. W- what what can you tell us at this point, where you are with that case?
1: Okay, so once I, once, uh, uh, I received that call from Ryan, Uh, We went and pulled the case and took a look at it, and um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is that we have a, 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 I've created a new system when I took over cold cases, digitizing some of our old uh, cold cases, and I'm using a a former JSO employee who was a police officer, she retired to have um, children, and so um, she has some experience in investigations, and it's really helpful. Uh, so, anyways, I pulled the case file, had her scan it and digitize it, and and what she'll do sometimes is take a look at the case too, and also say, "Huh, look at this, and look at that." Well, in the process of it, um, she she found that there was a, a lot of fingerprints that were lifted from the abduction portion, which occurred in Daytona Beach Shores at a at a hotel called Treasure Island, um, and so she was abducted from that location uh... her body was found here in Duval County and so um... And going through the case file um, she said there's some things you probably want to look at and so what i'll do is i'll kind of do a you know, look at it from thirty five thousand feet and do a cursory search of it and then what i would do is we employ the entire team we get around the conference table in our office and we'll actually go through some of the details of the case and and see if there's any solvability factors that meet our protocols and in this case there happens to be a unresolved palm print. So you know we talked about prints earlier and in this case this is another one of those that kind of falls in line with the Freddie Farah case. So with this unresolved palm print we, we figured we'd start looking into that as well um, knowing that we're holding the the primary jurisdiction over the homicide or the murder of the case uh, where. Daytona Beach Shores is uh, the primary jurisdiction over the kidnapping, and then our partners at FDLE are also involved in the case. So, what we're doing is the case is it's very fluid right now. So, um, once I started looking at that and real, realizing that there's just print that needs to be resolved, um, we sat down and met with uh, these various entities, and we're going to have to come together all, all, uh, you know, all as one, even though we've individually met. Um, and really talk about the details of the case and make, let's put everybody's investigative files on the table and, and see where we can go with it if we can go anywhere with it. And so um, you know it, it, she's located off of 95 at mile marker um, 365 and, and not not exactly at the mile marker and um, this is a picture, a picture of her as well. Um, and so she um, and there was there was seven individuals in the in the hotel room at the time the assailant enters into the room and um he has them do some things uh at gunpoint and so and I can't discuss all those fine details but ultimately he ends up taking um carol as a hostage if you will <coughs> his little insurance policy and um he leaves the room with her at gunpoint and then she's found in Duval County later on. Well, the individuals that were in the room basically give our sketch artist a composite, and that's what uh, basically that's what they come up with as far as a look is concerned. Which I thought was a pretty good composite. The one thing that's unique about that that people should know is he has a mole, and you probably can't see it in this photograph. That's going to be on his left cheek. And it was pretty distinct and when you have, uh, I don't know, this many individuals in a room giving you a composite drawing and they all point that out, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that you can pretty much hang your hat on. Mm -hmm. So um, we're looking at what we can do with the case. Um, Again, limited evidence. Uh, I don't know what's still out there evidence-wise from Daytona. I don't know what's out there evidence-wise as far as FDLE is concerned. But, in fact, uh, the lead detective on the case, Ray Reeves, and myself met with um, Lee Clark from FDLE just last week to discuss uh, where we can go DNA-wise. And there's some things that she wants us to do that she says, hey, I want, I want to look at uh, some, of the, some of the other evidence in this case that, that I do know we have. And um, she mentioned to me that, that there's probably not another case that she has worked the most on other than this case. And so I know that her passion for the case is strong. So in having conversations with her from the, from our perspective, from her perspective, and now from Daytona Shores' perspective, uh, you know, here we are coming together, you know, years and years later to say, okay, where has technology taken us today that we can really revisit this, so.
2: Mm, what about the witnesses? There were quite a few.
1: The other words, uh, I, I believe that, um, don't hold me to this. I know one is deceased, maybe two. One we haven't located, and then some of the other ones we have, but we haven't approached them quite yet. Okay. First, working on the evidence, the and then. I'm sorry. Is, is that
2: how it usually works? First, you take a look at the the evidence that you might have, and then witnesses, or it varies.
1: It varies. It, it just depends. That's on a case by case basis. You know, if if I think that we're starting to get some traction in a direction that we really need to start talking to witnesses right away, I'll do that. You know, uh, if. If we, if it's something that, well, we want to make sure we get the evidence right before we, um, before we start talking to witnesses again, you know, getting everybody quote unquote upset, you know, then, then of course we'll we'll do that as well.
2: Overall, in your opinion, does it have strong solvability factors?
1: I have an unresolved palm print. I solved the 43-year-old case with that same thing. Um, so, uh, and then we and we can kind of talk about that a little bit. The unique thing about the print was the palm print was again um, we didn't do palms for quite some time in in the law enforcement field and when it started in 2010 ish somewhere around there um, they just started getting added and and cross checked well a lot of times and and uh, the palm you're you're just catching the pad where we believe on, on this particular one where it's a little high on the on the hand so. Um, I don't know that we have that much of a print available to us as far as a comparison, a suspect to compare it to. So in other words, if I, I, let's say I identified somebody, I know that um, uh, Henry Lee Lucas, a serial killer, self-renowned, his name came up in this case, although he doesn't match the composite at all, and you know, but if I wanted to compare these prints to his, the question is do I have a print of his that's high enough in that palm where I can do that one-to-one comparison? And when I say I, I, I'm not the one doing it. It would be our latent print examiner or F FDLEs or whomever it may be. Um,
2: I read the newspaper article on this case uh, and it was obviously by, by, by nature of it being a homicide or murder, they're violent. This one was, was particularly um, very violent. Can you talk about that? I know that you there's some things you can't explain, but we're talking about a suspect who abducted an 18-year-old and dumped her body in Jacksonville. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, to me, I, I can live in a different world. Any homicide is, is violent to me. Um, some are more graphic than others. You know, Where this one, uh, to, to enter into a, a hotel room where there's seven individuals, and not knowing to what level of confrontation you can be met with, even though you do have a gun, is pretty brazen and he remained in that room for quite some time uh, at his pleasure to do what he wanted to do and as much as he wanted to do again I can't talk about all the details on, of that but uh, and then to abduct someone at gunpoint and take him out of there it's um, it, it's, it's a violent act and it, to me it almost looks as if she was executed not that there was a, a big struggle or anything like that it, was, it looked more like an execution to me Um, And it had some of the information that I I gleaned from the case file had, if you will, shades of serial serial killer type actions, you know, so um, can I say that it was a serial killer? No, I can't say that, not at this point, but there's some stuff in there that just didn't sit right with me.
2: Quite possible, obviously you don't know this for sure, but quite possible that the person who did this has committed this act before?
1: It's possible, sure, or maybe even after. Uh, you know without an identification uh, you know we're all guessing.
2: Thank you Sergeant Jansen and then and then how did Project Cold Case uh, come about in this case?
3: Yeah so you know we have uh, on our website is a case submission form for any families uh, to submit their loved one to our site for consideration you know we have to vet the cases but to put them on our our website put their loved ones picture and to do a future cold case spotlight. Uh, This one came across Uh, came through our our office and was very limited in in the information that was given to us so we reached back out to the family uh, for more information. We didn't have a picture and and a very brief description of an abduction in Daytona and uh, her body found in Jacksonville. And because it was 1980 trying to do some you know Google research there was not a lot of, of information available out there on the web. When we contacted the family one of the first uh, kind of roadblocks we hit was what jurisdiction did this case belong in? Uh, So that's where I turned to Dan and I called him and I said, I have a a case that was just submitted where there was an abduction in Daytona, but the body found here, is that your case? Or is that Daytona case or somewhere in between? Um, And and to be
2: clear for people who are watching, so when a, what, how do you determine what jurisdiction this crime would be in?
1: Well, it's where, if the body's located in our jurisdiction. It's where the body's it, located. It, right, then okay. it's ours. Although, um, it, I mentioned it before uh, in the Hyde case, and I'll mention it again in this one. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a term of, of, okay, you have jurisdiction, it's your responsibility to solve this homicide. But let it be known, unequivocally, uh, all of law enforcement, the, the law enforcement community, we work together. And seamlessly, and and it works out nicely when when we especially when we have a case that crosses jurisdiction, like you know this one, which is in Daytona, FDE and the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and just like the Hyde case with Columbia County, who's a lead in that particular case, and then the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office and and Jacksonville Beach Police Department. So it's that that joint combination is is very profound and even though we are the lead g- jurisdiction.
3: So we, we were always learning that too. I didn't know that specific answer. So, uh, cause you remember, so now there's a homicide investigation that JSO is working, but there's a you know, kidnapping investigation that Daytona Beach Shores is working, you know, and they have to, to kind of work together. So uh, as, as a, um, just kind of a professional courtesy, when a case comes across our desk that is local, I like to call Dan and just say, by the way, uh, have another Duval County case that a family has submitted that we're going to add to the, the website and do a spotlight on in the future and kind of you know reverse a lot of times Dan and his team when a family calls up and doesn't know about Project Cold Case they'll do the same thing. Okay, well, we're going to take that cursory look at it and oh by the way while we're doing that why don't you call Project Cold Case or can we have Project Cold Case call you and see of other avenues. Uh, that that we can get this information out there as well. So that's kind of what happened here. The family submitted the case to us. I called Dan, you know, asking these questions about who actually has jurisdiction of this case and letting him know that this case had come across our desk as submitted by a family and that we were going to put it on our website. And at that point, uh, you know, kind of uh, I assume, and Dan can speak to this, I kind of know that he's going to take that cursory look at it. And and whatever his team decides to do at that point, you know, is based on those protocols and those procedures that they have established. So if he takes that cursory look and automatically sees there's actually physical evidence in the case that has not been retested or tested or you know or vetted, then they do their job. You know, uh, and but a lot of times, you know, I may call and say, hey, this person, you know, submitted their loved one's case, and he may do that look, and it, you know. There is no physical evidence that needs to be re-looked at and in that case we just publicize it ourselves, you know, and that's kind of our role. Mm
2: -hmm. Perfect. And so uh, what's next in this case
1: right now? So um, like I said earlier, it's it's very fluid and we are working through uh, meeting with these different entities. Um, actually, we just uh, yesterday, I just tracked down the original latent print examiner from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, who's retired, and um, we have to reach back out to him. The timing was wrong yesterday because of the officer-involved shooting that we were working. So uh, um, we're going to meet with him and have a conversation with him about some prints that he lifted and what his opinion was, and I told you about how important opinions are in, in you know, talking to these other detectives and uh, entities. And so we want to sit down with him and have a conversation with him and he knows it. And so in fact, uh, I don't even know how it got to him. I know that w- we found out who what his name was and and I even have, haven't had the opportunity to have the conversation with him to say, by the way, how did you find out that I was looking for you? But I would imagine it was through FDLE. Um But he called my office and said, hey, I heard you were looking for me. And, and of course it, the first thought I was, What's your name again <laughs> so because uh, is this a business or pleasure so um, and, and so anyways that's that's the next step and then i've um I've done some requests for other investigative files, and we want to we want to take a look at those and I forecast somewhere in the future that we're all going to come together these different agencies will we'll find some common ground probably at FDLE. and and uh, have a conversation about the case, and just let's lay it out on the table, and let's take a really good look, because you know our, our five minds are, are great, but let's add in all the, all the other entities, and it gets even greater. So, and it would be nice to resolve this case, whether the suspect's dead, alive, or otherwise. You know, like Ryan mentioned earlier, um, we, we should work on getting a resolve on this. You said you read a uh, newspaper article. What, yes. what did it talk about in there? I might be able to talk about a little bit more. Sure,
2: yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, well, it, it, it talked about some of the more graphic details, that uh, how, how her body was found. The, the, the article was talking about how she was nude from the waist up, um, shot in the back of the head. That's what right. the article said, if I remember correctly. Um, and it talked about the people who were in the room, how he, how he went in the room and robbed them. Um, what else, what else? Yeah, it, that was basically the, the the big the big ones I guess the big details that I remember.
1: Okay, so yeah, you know, if you if you have details, I can talk about them. If you don't, yeah. some of the details, which obviously you don't have, I can't go into those. But
2: well, the sister did tell me that she was sexually assaulted. Well, so I don't n- think so. No, okay, that's what she so yeah okay. Uh, the so. sister told that. That's what she said. That's what she's under the impression, of, but um
1: okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um. So, in talking about uh, uh, Carol's case, uh, when she was found along the side of I-95, um, she was she had clothes on but her, her shirt was pulled up and so she was partially nude, kind of like the news media release back then alluded to. So uh, of course we were looking at all the evidence that was available at the time which right now we don't have a tremendous but we do have her closed so we're, we're looking at DNA technology and how we can apply it to what we have today so the DNA doesn't necessarily degrade every time over time it does you know we know that it does and there's there's so many different factors that come into that and you'd have to talk to a DNA expert to, to kind of explain all that uh, we learn it just. Vicariously working these cases, so um, but we do want to take a look at her clothes and see if we can do some DNA testing on those things and come up with a, a good viable solution as to, you know, how she got in the location that that she was found. Mm-hmm. So you know, was she carried out there? Is there some mitochondrial DNA out there? You know, we'll have to look at. And
2: that. you also look at White Jacksonville. Was it maybe just out of convenience because it's on i
1: Correct, and that's okay. the reason why they had looked at Lucas and uh, Toole back then. Uh, those two serial killers were living together, and they were here in Jacksonville. And and based on what happens in the in the in the hotel room was not just a robbery. Uh, there are some things that were going on in there that were really um, off kilter, and so. Um, that's why, they, uh, that's why they were looking at these serial killers back then. And when I look through the case file, I'm not, I'm not convinced um, that either one of them had anything to do with it. In fact, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the, that was just, you know, darts in a dart type thing.
2: Is there any indication that she may have known her abductor, or is it
1: no. a stranger? No, I don't think so. I think it's a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
2: Action News Jack's Project Cold
0: Case airs the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month on Action News Jack's at 530. You can also find all of our stories, interviews, pictures, and documents on actionnewsjacks.com. Just look for the Project Cold Case button. And listeners, we hope you share this podcast on your social platforms. Lorena and I also welcome your questions. Tweet us at page or Lorena A.N.